I mean, I would yep. say for artists, if there was a tip I could have for you as you're engaging people, have some way of getting them back even to come and get in the habit of coming again for a second and a third time. And and what you'll find mm. is a percentage of those people, if you give them four or $5 for free, they'll buy another thing from you in, in addition to that. Mm. Uh, might take them 10 times of doing that, but uh, as long as you have a way to re-engage them and over-deliver on value, eventually it pays off. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so welcome back to the Modern Musician Podcast. I'm super excited to be here today with the one and only Jason Tonioli. So Jason is one of the has one of the greatest business minds, I think, of anyone that I've ever connected with. You know, he's someone who's experienced a lot of success in different domains, in different business domains. And the way that he's applied that to his music career has been personally really inspiring for me. And seeing the other causes and the businesses that you're part of, Jason, have been amazing. Like what you do in Costa Rica when you hosted the mastermind for us. Just absolutely, absolutely incredible experience. And you know, what you've created, the ecosystem there for, for you know, amazing uh, vacations is awesome. So I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. He is a new age pianist. He is a self-publisher of eight albums. He's contributed to TV documentaries, collaborated with several renowned artists, and he's also you know, applied his business you know, experience to several different domains. And he's you know, one of our artists who won our Platinum Artist Award, which is when you generate over seven figures in revenue with your music. So he is the real deal, and he knows a thing or two about providing value and, and building businesses. So to start with, you know, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your story about how you got started, you know, in, in business and also how that transition and that kind of paid it forward into your music career. Yeah. I honestly, I, I started out as probably the normal piano playing kid that had a, a mom that made him practice piano. We joke about it a lot still with my mom that she won the piano war and thank goodness she did. Cause I, it, it's been fun. Cause it's, you know, once, once you get over that hurdle and you start to enjoy music, um, which is such a hard thing. I think a lot of people start piano or guitar lessons and, you know, they'll do it for a few years. And then when it gets hard, they just, they quit. And, and that's kind of, I mean, there's, that's the story for more people than actually have ended up playing piano or guitar and sticking with it. So mm. all through high school, I did choirs and, you know, did a little bit of music, but I was more busy doing rock climbing and I was on the dive and swim team doing flips and belly flops and all that good stuff. So, I, I mean, I was a very active kid. I worked 25, 30 hours a week in high school and then I ended up going to Weber State. I lasted two days in the music program up there. I'd passed an AP music mm -hmm. test that's supposed to teach you how to do arranging and all kinds of fun stuff with music. And mm -hmm. uh, I'd done that in high school. And when I got to the college, they told me I had to do the basic music theory 101 class. And on day one, we made it through whole notes and half notes and half rests. In the second day of sitting through quarter notes and eighth notes of class, I, I went to the teacher and said, I just want to go into orchestration. I've published music and, you know, I've got a, I'd gotten a check actually for $2.50 for my music. So I, you know, I'd hit the big time by then, by, you know, my first year <laughs> of college. And I still have it framed on my wall over here, actually. I never did cash it, but 
<laughs> I, I, I kind of was one of those where I didn't think you could make money as a musician. It was just one of those things that you, you typically wouldn't expect to be able to do. Uh, after that second day, I dropped out of the, the, the 101 class and went over to the business department at the school and took marketing and you know accounting and got a business degree. And, and frankly, as I look back, that was probably one of the best things I did for my music career, even though I didn't think that was you know going to lead to anything with music. I, I ended up working at a bank mm -hmm. as a marketing director, which sounds really, really boring being a stuffy banker, right? But um, I ended up... <laughs> uh, doing marketing for every department in the bank, um, got to build websites and do newspaper ads. And it was kind of right in the early 2000s when the internet was just becoming a thing. So I, I just, it was a really exciting time for advertising in general, because all of the old school, you know, direct mail, you know, junk mail time and newspapers evolved into, you know, internet and email and you know, and then texting became a thing and, you know, Facebook came, came about and YouTube, Google. So I, it was honestly, I couldn't have picked a better time to probably live through, you know, evolution of, of advertising mediums. Uh, and I got to dabble, I got to spend like six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a year of other people's money and test out all these mediums, which was, was a ton of fun. And spent 12 years doing that, had worked with a lot of our software vendors to develop things. And We'd actually built some in-house things at the bank. And what, what ended up happening is we developed some tools that these auditor regulator people from the government that go into banks all the time, they'd come in and they raved. So we were in, they call it an exit interview in the banks. And after they, you know, the auditors have spent two to four weeks there and try to find problems with your bank and tell you how you can do better. Anyway, what ended up happening is it was right about the 2009, right when all the bank crashes had been going on and every bank out there expected to get like beat up over all of, you know, problem loans and other things like that. And the regulators spent like 30 minutes talking about the marketing department and how awesome our stuff was and how they wished every bank in the world was doing this. And they, and, and our, my CFO and the president came out of that meeting, just shaking their head. They were like really happy because they hadn't gotten beat up at all, which is normally what happens in those meetings. And they're like, what, what do you guys do in marketing? These regulators that want to look at numbers are excited about. And anyway, so in the end, our processes we'd built were really well received. We told the bank, people, hey, we could probably sell this to other banks. Do you want us to do that? And they said, no, we're we're bank. We're not a software company. We're not interested in doing that. And so we basically said, hey, can we go and try to build this and help other banks? And they said, go for it. And so I ended up quitting my job and going and starting a software company, going from, you know, city paycheck to nothing uh, within about a week and a half time period, which is always exciting for anybody who's done that. And And then from there, built a software company that tracked volunteer hours and donations and, you know, things for the marketing department to get things approved a lot faster. And that's done a lot of great things. I think it's tracked over 2 million volunteer hours in banks and credit unions around the country, which is crazy to think. And I think they've uh, processed about a half a billion dollars in donations for, you know, charities and other people in need. So anyway, cool software. About six years ago, I, I was able to sell my shares and essentially retired and thought, well, what do I do now? And I, I decided I'd spend a little bit more time on some music. And I'd, I'd released books and CDs and does, put stuff up on, you know, <clears throat> on the iTunes, TuneCore, on those platforms. But I was making, you know, what a, you know, a new school teacher would make, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year, which is still, for a musician, that's awesome. The fact that I was able to have sold stuff online, but now that I had 
time to like spend on other things, I thought, okay, well, let's really, you know, try and build a funnel or, you know, all these things that you always say you're going to do, but you never get around to. And ended up doing that, went through the one funnel away challenge that ClickFunnels does and kind of made me rethink all of, all of the marketing that I'd done for the last 15 years. And next thing I know, we're shipping 200 orders a day out of our garage in books. And, you know, back call it the good old days when Facebook, I could put $3 into Mr. Zuckerberg at Facebook and it would come back and, and end up giving me $2 back. So just like this money machine and I was getting new people in my list and it was amazing. And to clarify for people who are, who are listening or watching this right now, when you say like selling books, you're a instrumentalist and a piano player. So you're selling yep. uh, books that are like, uh, you, you go buy that? at the piano store, you know, like it's instrumental. Like it's just piano solos. I've, I've got about a half, I think I've got five or six original song books. Now I've got six, seven, eight, I've got eight hymn arrangement books. Some are a little more intermediate advanced. Some are easy. But those, those have sold really, really well. And I've got, you know, I built, I used to have a list of like 2000 people and, you know, I spent, I think I've spent about $800,000 on Facebook and Google ads over the last two and a half years or so, uh, which just makes me want to throw up. That's so, that just seems like so much money. But when you, if, as long as you're getting more than you put into to Facebook out, you know, keep playing that game. You know, when you start losing money, then, mm-hmm. you know, stop, <laughs> pull back. <laughs> uh, but it, it's been fun. I mean, our I think our record year uh, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, we shipped twenty eight thousand packages out of the garage, which is it's insane wow. to think that we were doing that much. But we're still mm-hmm. I mean several hundred a week, or that's a normal week for us. So, um, and I think it, what it is, it's a testament to you know as long as you when you bring in a lead, you know to interact with you for the first time, whether you sell a book or a CD or whatever fan pack, whatever it might be, if you you know, the key thing is, is what are you doing to onboard them or kind of have them like you, you know, or engage deeper with you. And I think that's a place where a lot of people, you know, never get around to doing it. They'll launch that first thing to get a fan on whether it's Facebook, YouTube, wherever, but then there's no clear path to, to kind of keep them engaged and learn about you and what you're about and see if they really want to go deeper with you. And we've done, I would say Mm -hmm. I've done an okay job of that. We could always do better. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, one thing I think it would be really valuable to hear your perspective on is the idea of building a funnel and sort of putting funnels versus streaming. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone is listening to us right now and, you know, if you're here in our community, then you're probably familiar with funnels and it's not necessarily like a new concept. But for a lot of people like streaming and, and Spotify, like they, they think of music businesses, that's how they're going to make an income. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, how would, like, how would you describe the difference between funnels and streaming and the pros and cons of you know, sending someone through a funnel? Well, really all a funnel is, is just like a landing page to, to either educate somebody on something or get them, get somebody to do something. The best, I mean, so with the streaming revenue, I mean, people are just either are randomly going to find you or go hear you on a playlist or follow you. But I would say the streaming revenue is just it's going to be a result of whatever you want your people to go through. You know, whether, you know, like when I send out onboarding emails, if somebody's bought something or downloaded a free thing from me for the first time, I have a whole series of things that one, it asks, do you play piano or are you just a listener? And so if you're a listener, I send them immediately after that, I'll send a link to a playlist. Okay. Here's a YouTube playlist, a Spotify playlist of my stuff. If you want to check it out or follow it. And 
you know, if they're piano players, I still send them the link to the streaming stuff. But then I say, hey, here's a free PDF song that I think you might like. Check this out. And then from there, I'll also follow up, you know, another like a week later, I'll send them another free. I'll send them a free coupon, actually, to say, hey, go pick a song out. I got 100 songs on the website. Go choose one. But even though I'm giving them a free song, essentially, or five dollars towards the thing, what I'm doing is teaching them how to go onto my website and how to purchase Mm. again from me. And, and mm. I mean, I would yep. say for artists, if there was a tip I could have for you as you're engaging people, have some way of getting them back, even to come and get in the habit of coming again for a second and a third time. And and what you'll find mm. is a percentage of those people, if you give them four or $5 for free, they'll buy another thing from you. In in addition to that, mm. uh, might take them 10 times of doing that. But uh, as long as you have a way to re-engage them and over deliver on value, eventually it pays off. Uh, from a funnel standpoint, I think the important part as a musician is it's just key to think about that's your entry. It's kind of an entry point. Um, imagine if you're walking down the hall at Walmart or just walk into a Walmart and you get bombarded with probably a thousand items in your first 20 steps and you don't know what you're going to buy. Maybe the cookies look good when you walk by and you put it in your cart. But but in general, that's not a good shopping experience, especially if you're a musician and you only have a limited number of items. So the key thing is, can you, as a musician, can you show that person like, okay, if I'm in the brand new piano player, barely when it's introduced to Jason Tonioli camp, if I can send you and say, hey, check out this song. This is the favorite song of my people that like to play piano. And I can give that to them. Now they've had a good interaction, a good experience. And they'll be like, ooh, I like that. And then again, follow up again mm-hmm. to to have them you know, deliver some sort of value, whether that's a video, whether it's a music video. I mean, there's just so many free, no cost ways for us to to interact with somebody. And as you think about the funnels, there's there's kind of different kinds of funnels. You've got where do you bring people in that aren't familiar with you? And then maybe there's you think of it like a ladder, a value ladder. I know Russell Brunson talks about value ladders all the time. What is the um what's the steps you want me to take? If I'm a brand new person in your community, is it Okay, you want to play the songs, but now I want you to be in, you know, be aware that I have stuff on streaming. Here's two of my albums, and then maybe the next level is buying some of my books. And and usually as you go up that value ladder, there's there's additional steps that it gets usually gets more expensive with that. So maybe there's a three hundred dollar plan that you subscribe to. Maybe there's a get together once a year. You know, maybe you do concerts. You know, and you get a VIP experience. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that musicians and artists can do to to think through their value ladder. But what I find is most people never bought, they, they'll read the book about it, but then they typically don't implement it. You know, they'll, they'll do the first step mm. or two of the value ladder and then they'll be like, oh, I'm not making enough money. And the reality is those lower steps on your ladder are either free or low cost. You're probably not going to, mm. you know, break even even on those. But the key mm. is finishing that race and, and putting together those higher ticket things. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much good stuff in there. You, when I think about like a funnel versus streaming, it seems like there, there's a ton of benefits to sending people to your own funnel. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is just when you send someone to Spotify or somewhere else that, like you mentioned, like the journey kind of ends there in a lot of ways, at least your your communication, your connection with them. Like you don't own Spotify, you don't own that platform. You don't know who your people are that are on that platform. So it's sort of like, you send them and then you don't really have an opportunity to stay connected with them or communicate with right. them. 
where when you send them to your own funnel, then you have a very clear path, very clear journey of, you know, this is the next step. And either you can take the next step or you cannot. You basically have a decision point. It's like move forward. So that's extremely valuable. Someone's opting in, subscribing to your email list or text message updates, super valuable. And what you mentioned in terms of providing value too, like it sounds like a funnel is a way to, like in in your case, in, in most cases, you know, it's extremely important to focus on providing value first. And when you send people to the funnel, some of the first steps are that you're building a relationship and you're delivering value as a way to, you know, to serve them. And then there is a reciprocity that's built in when you deliver value. Then if you offer something that delivers even more value, now you've built this relationship. Now you've built this trust that, you know, someone's going to be more likely to do it. Rakuta mentioned a plus one to your point that you made about, you know, quote unquote training fans on how to visit your site and how to purchase your things from you, including something for free. I think that's yeah. super smart. Yeah. Like having like a coupon or something just so people you know, can develop that habit and know how to, you know, how to do that, get the value. Super one, smart. one other real quick tip with that, that I've, I implemented years ago, but it still is in place and working. If somebody buys from me, yes, they're getting all those onboarding emails, but if they don't buy from me again within 30 days, and that includes the free downloads because I'll send them a coupon. And we send them to a WordPress site because it does such a good job of delivering those PDFs and just the digital stuff's like automatic. It's great. But if they haven't come back to my site and bought something or used that coupon, I send them a reminder with an extra free coupon to say, hey, come back. It's been, it might have been a while since you've, you've ordered something on the site. I just wanted to shoot you out a free coupon, you know, and it just gets triggered on day 30. And I, I'll bet you I get 30 or more percent. I'd have to look at the numbers, but I, I know it was over 30% of people would respond to that email and go buy something, even though it was just a free thing. But my guess is most of those people were lost before I sent that coupon out because they didn't engage again. And I just, it's literally like mm-hmm. you're poking a hole in a, you know, if you got a water trough that's leaking water, I can stick my finger in it. And I kept those people in that ecosystem at least aware of me. And and I mm-hmm. delivered extra value. So now there's the, oh, gosh, I really like that song. Maybe I'll go get another one. Mm. Super smart. Yeah, it does seem like that's one of the big benefits of, of funnels, too, is that you can look very clearly at where are the drop-off points. If you If you have, like, five steps in the funnel, and the first step is that they land on the landing page to listen to a song, and then the next step is that they opt in to join, you know, the private community with their email address. And the next step is that they, you know, purchase a small, you know, pack from you, like a fan pack. Yeah. Then, you know, the, in those three steps, you can look and you can see, wow, like 40% of people went from step two to step three, or in some, maybe it's like zero, like 1% of people went from this step to this step. And that really helps you clearly look and see, huh, like maybe there's something I can do to improve that specific step, or maybe there's a glitch, maybe there's something broken with that specific step. But it seems like that's one really valuable thing that you, that you get when you are able to look at a funnel versus if you're sending someone to a platform you don't own, you have no idea what steps they took after. But, and I think a lot of those, even once you've got the steps up and working, there's a tendency to not look at the stats of how it actually is working. It's like, okay, I got this thing going and I got a funnel, but then what? And even even yeah. with the, I mean, like the click mm-hmm. funnels or go high level, some of these CRM tools that are out there, you can see how many people hit that page. But what you don't see very well with a lot of those is what's, you know, how many people dropped out along that path. There's some really cool tools. We've been using a tool called True Conversion. 
it's a, it's an amazing tool, but it, what it does is it, Mouseflow does the same thing. You can go look at that company as well, but it records the screens of every interaction that somebody has on your page. Mm. And uh, I'm mm. not sure how all the privacy rules work with that. And we, we followed whatever they've said we need to do, but essentially I can watch somebody's mouse scroll down the page and maybe, I mean, we've, we do uh, one of the things I implemented about a year and a half ago. Um, we had a funnel that was um, converting at like ten or twelve percent uh, close rate with cold traffic, which is insane that you could eat. I mean, that was it's for a book, and and what we ended up doing mm-hmm. was uh, we were selling a thousand to two thousand dollars a day of of that book. But we thought, okay, can we make it a little bit better? And a lot of um, so what we started doing is a, we call it a web improvement meeting. And I've got a, a guy in the Philippines that is on my team and he goes in and I, I swear he, he break his job is to break the site and figure out where the problems are. And he's, mm. he's been going a year and a half and he still finds stuff every week for us, which is, is amazing. But we, we, we also have him looking at like Google analytics, but then it's true conversion. We have him look at some of these recordings and what we found, and here's a tip for you, if you're doing a funnel or a website or anything, if you don't have a link on your images, which sounds silly, okay, you put like a picture of your CD or your book, and then a button to buy it down below. We were getting almost 20% of people when we'd watch those recordings, they'd click on the picture and they'd be like, click, click, hmm. click. And so you'd see these, uh, when we look at reports, you'd see all these clicks on this image and we're like, oh, that's a dead link. And, and so we changed it. So the button mm. and the stupid little picture goes to the same place. And what we ended up doing is increasing our conversion rate by like one, one and a half percent. And we started doing little mm. tiny tweaks to get a little bit better, a little bit better every week. And uh, at the peak of that funnel, I think we were closing between 14 and 16% on cold traffic who never, they didn't have a clue who we were, but we'd gotten it that much. And I mean, that when you run the numbers on something like that, we're talking, I mean, it was probably a hundred thousand dollars or more by getting just a little bit better. Not sure. Are you familiar with the the bike bicycle or the cycle team from England that and their story of getting a little bit better? Oh, that's that is kind of ringing about. I feel like I probably read a book well, that described that. But I'd love to hear that story. It's an amazing story. So, yeah. and I'm gonna really mess it up a little bit. So go out and you can just um, Google or look for like the England uh, United Kingdom cycling team. So like 20 years ago, the the cycling team in England was so bad that they couldn't. That, like people who made bikes would not even sponsor their riders for the Tour de France because they didn't want any, they didn't want to be associated with these guys because they were so awful and they'd never win. And I mean, (laughs) how sad is that? And there was a a guy, I want to say it was about 20 years ago. He came in and he, he basically said, our job, my job is I'm going to help you improve 1%. And if we can come to practice and we can just get 1% better each day, that 1% is going to add up and add up and have this compounding effect and so whether it was, you know, wearing different material on your shorts or changing the helmet or the different angle that you were riding at, or, and they just basically focused, mm. what can we make a little tiny bit better, 1% better? And, and I want to say mm. in, when they did the London Olympics, was that 2012-ish maybe? Anyway, the, when the Olympics came actually to London, uh, they ended up sweeping and almost winning almost every gold medal. They won multiple Tour mm. de France's after that. They, I mean, they just dominated. And, you know, it's, mm. it's just one of those principles where I think if you can step back as a business owner and, and it's overwhelming and we, we have, you know, I was at the recording studio till nine o'clock last night and came back to 600 emails in my inbox this morning. It's overwhelming. Every one of us is so busy with things that we honestly don't take, we don't have time to, to tackle a lot of these big, you know, hairy goals that we've set for maybe our, you know, the coming year. But if you can just say, okay, today I'm going to 
get this one thing a little tiny bit better, that 1% adds up, you know, 30 days of that and you're 30% increase. I mean, it, it just, it's crazy to think how little tiny things can make such a big difference. So uh, the, only, the only thing mm. you take away from this call is, you know, make yourself a little bit better 1% and, and go check out that story from, from the England cycling team. It's a, it's an awesome little story. So good. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That it's really interesting. What it kind of reminds me of is a podcast that I watched recently with Lex Friedman and Jeff Bezos. And, and I remember just feeling like, as I watched that, I'm like, this is so cool that we have the ability to do this nowadays that we can listen to conversations like this and we can learn. It's an amazing blessing. But one of the things that, that Jeff Bezos had mentioned was sort of his process and how he thinks around big picture ideas and you know creative things that you know, can have huge impacts as well as the things that we we're just talking about optimization and just like those small things and just like you're know, taking one step at a time and what he mentioned was that you know they found that it's really important to kind of create space for both he calls it the sort of like the paper cut issues when like the paper cut issues are sort of like those optimization things where if people are having experiences where they're getting little paper cuts as they're kind of going through this process, then you, you need to have a specialized like movement or team around solving those paper cuts. But, you know, he also spends a lot of time kind of just wandering around and thinking about big ideas and envisioning something totally different. Because if we spend all of our time thinking about like, you know, the little, the paper cuts, then we might lose like some of the really big you know, takeaways and those those big experiences, which kind of leads me to the next topic that I would, I would love to pick your brain on, which is around masterminds and creating these and these horizon experiences and sort of you know, on a day to day basis, maybe we're focused on, you know, one, one step at a time, we have one, one thing at a time and optimizing things slowly compound effect. And then, you know, if you can create the horizon experience where you take yourself completely out of your normal day to day and you go do something that really stretches your comfort zone that you know, helps surround you around the people that give you more perspective, that also can be really valuable. So I'd love to hear your perspective as someone who has helped host a lot of events where people have had those horizon experiences. And you know, we did our mastermind with you in Costa Rica a, you know, a few years ago for our Platinum Artist Mastermind. And it was absolutely incredible. You know, We did the Tarzan swing off the cliff. We saw some beautiful sights. We went rafting down very intense rivers. And, and we even um, dumped you out, we even yeah, dumped you out of a boat. <laughs> you, you got dumped out of the <laughs> boat. I'll never times, forget yeah, that. Never. <laughs> so... And so, yeah, I'd love to hear from your perspective, what is it that makes a mastermind group uh, so important? And you know, maybe for anyone who hasn't you know, been a part of a mastermind group or gone out to an event like this, what would you, how do you encourage them to think about it? And, and do you think it's, yeah, like, is it worth it for a musician to actually attend these events? And if so, why? Well, I think the biggest thing in, in, as the older you get, the more people you, you meet and you realize that relationships, you know, I mean, you can go and study and, and learn courses and go to university, all that type of stuff. But the reality is, is to, to make those really big jumps, usually there's some sort of relationship or connection that we've had with someone, even if it's somebody that you paid to take a course from, maybe that's what it is. But, but, in, but if you think about when you've leveled up as a person, it's usually because you were you met somebody or you were surrounded by somebody or they introduced somebody introduced you to someone that made a difference. And, and I think that's the key thing to think about with, with a mastermind. I mean, there's masterminds that cost nothing and there's masterminds I know of that cost $250,000 a year. 
And the, the big thing is though, is you need to invest in yourself. So whether, again, that's, whether that's a course or whether it's a mentoring coaching type thing, I think doing a mastermind is one of those things that ought to be on your list. And the end goal should be the relationships. You, you know, yes, you want to go and learn and, you know, a lot of masterminds, what it'll, the people will do is they'll, they'll come and share what, what's working for them. They'll share the problems, the collective group of people will, you know, kind of rally around you and give you feedback. There's a lot of masterminds will do what they call hot seats. And, and essentially the ones that I've liked the best when they do that is the, the person will go up into the hot seat and they'll share for five, maybe 10 minutes about here's, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's the big problem. And, and hopefully they're adding some value and teaching some things as that well with that. But once people hear about, you know, the problem of, you know, I, I have a hard time mailing my stuff. What should I do there? Or, you know, emails don't work that I send out. What do we, you know, whatever that problem might be, it might be just, you have an ornery teenager kid at home. And what do I do to make him clean up his clothes off the floor? You know, I've seen some of those too, <laughs> but, but now imagine having a dozen other people there that are, they want to help you. And so as you share that stuff, then you kind of, you shut up and you listen. And, and a successful mastermind uh, is, you know, you're going to get feedback from 10 or 12 other people that are really smart and that are going to look at things a little bit differently than you do. And uh, oftentimes they'll give you, hey, you need to talk to this person or this, this person helped me with that problem or go read this book. And, and that's usually, I mean, the relationships and then usually that one chance you might get in the two or three day mastermind to, to get that problem solved is... I mean, those two reasons alone are why I would tell anybody to do a mastermind. One thing that has been fun, because so I, after I left my software company, I ended up on a whitewater kayaking trip in Costa Rica and met some amazing guides who you've met. And we just felt like we were supposed to help these guys. It was the craziest dumb idea ever. You know, let's go start a business 2000 miles away because that sounds like a f good idea. You know, amazingly, it's worked <laughs> out. It's worked out in an awesome way. We're actually in the middle of getting ready to build a hundred room resort, which is going to be, and we're going to build this resort around hosting small groups and masterminds, which is going to be a ton of fun. But with, with those groups. And for those I, of you who are listening or watching this right now, we'll, we'll probably be attending. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> we're we're going to make sure that we do a trip there. So, you know, the, what he's describing right now for, for some of you, you know, if you're in our artist development community, then you'll probably have an opportunity to actually come on a trip to this right now. So what he's describing, think fun. about it. Yeah. Maybe well, as a, a very cool thing that's in your future. What's been really fun is the, you know, we've, we've worked with so many hotels down there. I mean, our team is running two to five trips a week with different people. I don't know how logistically they do it, but they're really, really good at what they do. But there's really a lack of hotels in certain areas where we like to go and do the, some of the adventure activities that can handle groups. And, and so we just thought, Let's, why not build it? You know, I was actually, it was, it, it was where it started was last year in February, I was with Jeff and John Walker uh, and several others on kind of this little mini mastermind. We had two people who came with us that wanted to learn to kayak. And, uh, Luke Roberts, who, you know, who's, who's awesome. He was with us, but he, he was one of them that had never been in a, he'd never even sat in a kayak and, and the team worked wow. with him and he was, he was rafting or kayaking down class three rapids by the end of the week, which was crazy. But mm -hmm. we had so much fun. I can see I, him. He's, he's kind of a daredevil. I can, I can, I can see him getting there pretty quick. We didn't even, there's no blood or anything. It was, it was all good. <laughs> so, but, but what was fun, and, and this is, I think this is an important aspect of the masterminds with the goal of building relationships. If you think about conferences you've been to, I mean, some people have probably heard of Funnel Hacking Live or there, there's conferences of people where you might get a thousand or 5,000 people together. And, and those are really, really fun to do. 
But the reality is, is you're sitting around all these other people, you talk, you might have lunch or dinner together, but normally you don't go very deep from a relationship standpoint when you're at those types of events, because you're there listening to speakers. And when you go to a smaller mastermind and the focus is more on building those relationships, it's just, it's an entirely different experience. So I, I'm a big proponent for getting people to go to the, you know, the Funnel Hacking Live events and these, you know, good events that are going to give you 30 speakers with all these great ideas and you walk home with two or three awesome ideas that you're going to implement. But by being around a bunch of people and becoming friends, it's just, it's just, it's just different. And we, if you think about your friends that you've actually made, you can text somebody and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Can we jump on a call? And that they'll just jump right on and do that. And one of the things I've learned in doing a lot of these masterminds is getting people on a raft together where they're away from their phone or even like some of the nights, if you can get people so that they're not just glued to their phone all the time, because there's, you know, the house is burning down back home. If you can get out of that normal work environment and actually work on hanging out with cool people, it, it's just, it's just a totally night and day difference for the value you end up taking home. Wherever you do that, if you want to organize your own or do something like that, I think getting people in some sort of adrenaline type, I don't want to call it like risky, hey, you might die type of experience. Because what I mean, what we do down in Costa Rica, you know, it's 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 gonna stretch people for sure. But it ends up when you when you have people on the other side of the raft with your raft paddling and the guide saying, paddle, 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 you're like, okay, if I don't paddle or my buddy over there doesn't paddle, we're gonna it's not gonna end well. And now all of a sudden you care about the person that you're on the raft with. I, I've seen those relationships build so much faster by putting some sort of scenario like that. And now when you go talk at dinner, you're, you know, you're just buddies now because, you know, you survived the, the near death experience or whatever it might've been, even though the guide's like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. But for you, it was, you know, it was a great bonding experience, right? <laughs> so I think it's key for you to put those up, you know, invest in yourself and put yourself in opportunities with other smart people. The other thing that I've, I would say with masterminds is try to put yourself around people that are at least your level or higher, because that's what, I mean, the proximity principle of being around smart, successful people is going to rub off on you. And and just seeing those examples and learning what they do. I, I know, Michael, you've worked with Jeff, Jeff Walker quite a bit, and you're part of his mastermind groups. And you know, the people that you, you are around at those events is, you know, it's very different than, you know, other places and you, but you have to pay to be, it's oh, almost yeah. like you have to pay to be around those, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, there's a reason that I think out of all the investments that I've made, masterminds are, are the biggest one that I've made in my business. You know, I, the first investment I made was a coaching program with Jeff. And mm -hmm. I mean, that was a total life changer is a $12,000 program. And I've made a few 12 to 18K investments in mentorship and coaching and kind of like course related things. But I joined a 50K mastermind a couple of years ago. This year, I'm in a 35K mastermind. And, you know, I wouldn't keep doing that if I wasn't getting the value from it. If I wasn't like, I wouldn't keep investing in masterminds if I didn't see the return. And it's the, the reason I do is because it's incredibly valuable and you get so much from those relationships that you're building and learning from what's working for those other people. Right. Um, just earlier today, you know, we, we had our monthly zoom mastermind with our platinum artists 
And you know, one of our platinum artists, Josh Logan, was sharing the results of he had a conversation with another platinum artist, Scott Landis, who they hopped on a call and he shared some things he was doing with retargeting. He shared some things he was doing with his with his ads. And he was showing me his ads manager. He had literally gotten a like a 9.6x increase in the revenue return from the campaigns just based on those little tweaks that he made. And it came from the conversation that, that he had you know, through through that network. So I think that yeah, masterminds are incredibly valuable to be able to kind of to surround yourself with people that are on the same journey as you, that have that you know, want to help you evolve, want to help you grow. We talked about this uh, yesterday in terms of the on the flip, flip side, in a lot of cases, we're surrounded by people that don't want us to change, that don't want us to evolve because our surroundings, like they've gotten comfortable with us and they know who we are. And so there's like an inherent resistance to change. And so if you don't surround yourself with people that are encouraging you to grow and to evolve and to, you know, to help you achieve your dreams, whatever they are, then there's going to be an inherent, you know, hesitancy from the rest of it. And so I, yeah, I, I think masterminds, the community, the group is extremely important to surround yourself with. Well, and being a, an entrepreneur and, and a musician can be very, very lonely. You've got, I've, I've just learned that people that are entrepreneurs, we're just wired, you've got to be wired a little bit different. Mm. And, and mm. you've got to be a little bit of a risk taker. And, and that's, that's really hard for a lot of the people in our, you know, family members, especially that, that love us and want the best for us. And when you have this crazy idea that they think you're going to fail, you know, out of the best of intentions, they, they'll tell you, mm. oh, that's, you know, did you think about this? And they'll discourage you from doing that. Mm-hmm. And you mm. need, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to have that voice of reason. Hopefully you're married to one or, you know, cause, cause that person can <laughs> at least be a sounding board to, to tell you, Hey, that's a, you know, chasing that squirrel over there. That's a bad idea. And, and just bring you back to reality. But in general, the lonely factor is the masterminds and just friends that are on that same journey, like you said, can help give that other, it's like the, you know, shoulder angel, you got the, the good and the bad and, and you need both of those shoulder angels to, to at least help you make a, a logical decision. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And it, there's this, this principle, I think that you just mentioned around how it can be lonely sometimes. I think for a lot of us, I hear this a lot from artists who are in our community that when they joined Bond Musician and they they realize that they're not alone and there's these other artists who are on the same journey, it can it, finding a place where you are encouraged and where you belong is, is super important. But one, one principle that I, I didn't really fully realize until you know years after working really hard and kind of reaching a point where you know, we've built something that we feel really proud of that is, you know, materially successful is that it's the longer you stay with something, the more lonely it becomes or the more successful you become, the more lonely it becomes from a standpoint of by its very nature. Like, for example, learning to play piano, you mentioned at the beginning, a lot of people might start learning how to play piano, but very few people actually stick with it. And they actually reach a point where they become very successful at playing piano and even fewer people become masters of playing piano. And so it kind of goes with that principle that the, the more mastery that you, you know, develop in a specific area, the more lonely it's going to become because there's going to be less people who have actually made it all the way to that, that place. And because of that, it becomes harder to relate with, you know, people who aren't 
piano connoisseurs, if they see you play, they'd be like, that's amazing. Like, oh my gosh, how could you ever want you know, to be even better? How do you even want to reach the next level? And it definitely seems like that's a, a valuable thing that comes from just finding that group that is at the level that you're at. That's, you know, <laughs> I used to do that with like Miley Cyrus. She's there's always going to be another mountain. And it's true. You know, like wherever you reach, like there's, you're always going to be you know, evolving and, and growing, but finding people that, you know, understand where you're at is also really helpful because they can, they can understand the challenges that you're going through. It, it's easy to be shy about sharing those challenges. You don't have an opportunity to really express those challenges generally because people don't necessarily understand. They can't relate with you, especially if your challenge is that you have a business that's doing $3 million a year and you're looking to grow to like $30 million a year and to you know, impact 10 times more people, mm-hmm. then, you know, there's something that feels like a first world problem you know, of like of expressing that, that challenge. When I, I think the other thing is, you know, speaking of the other mountain, a lot of times we're comfortable in our little place we're at, wherever our house is, but until you realize, oh my gosh, you I mean with my business, I was making dollars $40,000 a year. And that was amazing as a musician. But until I saw, oh my gosh, what if, could, could I do $100,000? What could I do? $500,000 is a million possible. When you see somebody else actually break that barrier, it's mm. kind of like the four minute mile. Nobody could do it. And as soon as the mm. first person broke that four minute mile, all of a sudden you had you know a dozen other people within a month or two that did the same thing. And it wasn't mm. that they weren't capable of doing it, but in their mind, I think mindset, frankly, is is half the battle of just believing in yourself and then you know, putting yourself out there, at least climb the mountain to look and see what's happening on the other side of that mountain. And if there's people over there living and, you know, maybe it's, maybe they're doing something that you're not model after. I mean, the crazy thing is, is with YouTube and all of the, the free resources today, you can follow, you know, the, the most successful people, the, the Jeff Bezos, like you said, you were listening to, you know, Tony Robbins, you've got, you know, the Russell Brunson's out there. I mean, there's dozens of people that are really, really good that you can just go listen to a podcast for free. You don't even have to pay $10,000 to go, you know, be part of it. I I find for myself, one of my best ways I've found for leveling up is, yes, I go to the Funnel Hacking Live type events and yes, I participate in masterminds, but just forcing yourself consistently to listen to podcasts or audiobooks and and be consistent with that. You may have to listen to 10 hours of, of different podcasts to get that nugget, but Man, when you find that nugget, it's it's an amazing thing. It might make you tens of thousands of dollars and be that thing. But if you didn't consistently, you know, try to level yourself up, I mean, you're you'll just stay right where you are. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's so good. The, the fact that we have the ability to you know surround ourselves virtually with you know, people who are doing the thing that we want to do is one of the most valuable resources that we have. And yeah, like you mentioned attending, like listening to podcasts, but also, you know, if you're an artist and you're not doing this, then you're probably the first place I would start is following all of your favorite artists on all of their channels, going out to their shows, you know, surrounding yourself in the culture of who you want to be. I think that that's sometimes something that's overlooked, but like, you know, if you want, yeah, not everyone wants to be a touring musician, but if you do, then a good place to start is by like, attending shows going out to the shows meeting all of the people there meeting the venue workers you know meeting the community the fans who are there when yeah. we went tour hacking and we started meeting fans who were waiting in line, lines for shows that was a way that we started to 
you know, rub shoulders with the culture and the community. And we started to kind of build those relationships. And so, yeah, to your point, like you don't necessarily need to start with investing 35 K or 50 K in a mastermind program. When I started with Jeff, I attended his free, his free workshop. You know, I attended his free workshop and I watched a bunch of free videos and, and, you know, eventually I spent a lot of money you know, joining his, his programs and learning from him in a more you know, focused way and joining the masterminds. You have the ability, you have access to be able to surround yourself with successful people and mindsets. And that's a good place to start. And I would also love to hear you talk about just the value because you, like you mentioned, mindset is so incredibly important like the mindset of you know being able to believe in yourself kind of getting started with it knowing it's possible breaking that four minute mile i think another really valuable mindset that every person i know that's achieved success has is like an investor mindset like they're willing to invest whether it's their time or their money resources in order to grow and learn so i would love to hear your feedback as it relates to for a lot of us, I think artists, one of the biggest challenges or fears is sort of this, this lack of wanting to go all in or a lack of like feeling like we don't have the resources to invest. And I think yeah. all of us to a certain extent can come up against that challenge. I, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money, you know, to be able to achieve X, Y, Z. So how do you recommend people think about investing and making that leap? Well, I think, you know, if you back up a little bit, the not having time or not having the money or whatever it is, it really comes down to what, what a lot of people have called imposter syndrome. And and the question you've got to ask yourself, and, and I think this happens to everybody, especially the higher level people, you're like, oh my gosh, Russ, Michael Walker, Russell Brunson, these people that are really well known, they probably went through this imposter syndrome problem too. And essentially what it is, is you don't feel like you're worthy to be where you are, you know? So as a musician, putting yourself out there and saying, Hey, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to go perform. A lot of times when you go up on stage, you're like, I, I, I shouldn't be here. I mean, there's a hundred people out here that could you know, play the guitar or play the piano or sing as well as I could. What, what business do I have being there? And so eventually you, from a mindset standpoint, you have to recognize that you are awesome and, and, and trust, don't, don't tear yourself down and question your ability to do that. The confidence that you have, will come out in whatever you're doing or performing at. I mean, that's, that's key. You've got to, you know, if you see yourself questioning your worthiness or whatever you want to call it to, to be that successful person, you got to nip that in the butt. I mean, it's just got it. You cannot do that because it will destroy you. And if you don't believe you can do it, you won't. So, mm. so that, that's the biggest thing I think from a, a mindset that I, I see people just being negative self-talk. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've you've lived it, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think all of us. We had a, an amazing conversation yesterday with uh, Hannah Ardensky from from our team about mindset and you know vision and about goal setting and identity. And by its very nature, like when you set goals, you then you have to become not you in order to become like the future version of you. So the old you has to die. And so it, by its very nature, when you set a goal then there's like built-in imposter syndrome if you try to believe the goal because it's like, well, I haven't done that thing yet. I'm not that person yet. So you have to sort of sit with both and you have to start you know, being the change that you want to see. You have to sort of act as if, like become that person now, start doing the things. You want one point that you brought up that I think is 
is so important and easily overlooked is the willingness to show up and, you know, to embrace who you are, even if you're just starting out and you kind of suck or like you're not good yet. I've heard it described in a lot of ways, like you kind of, everyone has to go through this phase where like you have to suck until you don't suck anymore. And now you're awesome. Like, you know, you didn't sit down at the piano the first time and like, oh, you're playing a symphony like immediately from day one. Like you have to go through this process where, you know, you have to learn and grow. And, you know, I think that that not being willing to be vulnerable or to show up and to be who you are at those moments, it's one thing that holds people back a lot. It's just like, yeah. be you, know, you are where you're at. And if you are at a point where you're not where you want to be at, that's okay. Just like embrace it. And sometimes and be willing to learn, like know that, okay, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I can't play a symphony yet, but I can, you know, it is possible for me to do it. And I have to go through this journey of developing that skill, but you know, being willing to show up repeatedly and, you know, to keep focused on that goal. seems like that's you asked about investing in yourself. You asked about investing in yourself. And I, it, I find it interesting that, you know, a lot of us, you know, we all, most people graduate from high school and, and, it's funny, a lot of people think, oh, I've graduated from high school, I'm never going back to school again. And then you've got the group that decides, I'm going to go to university. And and for the mm-hmm. first time ever with the university, now you're paying thousands of dollars to actually go to learn. And and when, you know, I mean, depending on where you're going, I mean, you're literally spending thousands of dollars and dedicating hours and hours and hours of time. You know, it's supposedly you're spending four years studying the thing you're supposed to do. And people finish up with that and all of a sudden they graduate and they're like, well, I've, I'm never going to go back to school again. And, or they think, you know, that you get a diploma on the wall. Okay. whoop do you do? You got a diploma. Now what? And, and I see people that go into their job and they do, you know, they'll learn stuff at their job, but oftentimes people don't feel like they should continue to invest in themselves from an education standpoint, whether that be time or whether it be money. And I find it so interesting that, you know, very few people are mature enough, especially in college. I mean, they have people have all kinds of priorities that are different, probably in college, you know, party scene, all all that. But when you, when you can step back and be mature about it and be like, okay, after I graduate, why would I quit learning? You know, one, the internet's changing stuff with new stuff all the time. So if you quit learning, I mean, 10 years from now, you're going to be, now what are you going to do? You know, go work Mm. for the IRS or, I mean, something some awful job maybe that you'd want to, you know, I think of like the, the sloth from the, as it the Disney TV show that works at the DMV, that cartoon and the sloth just means, I mean, how awful would that be to be in a job like that? I, I would, you know, you can use that as an example to motivate you. Like, I don't want to do that, but you know, again, I think it's key for people to continue to invest in themselves. And, you know, I, me personally, I mean, it used to be a couple hundred dollars would be what I'd spend on a course every year. And I'd force myself to go through the course. Then, you know, as you level up, okay, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars or 5,000, but, but think about what you'd be spending if you were going to a, a good college and, you know, reinvest at least that much in yourself. But the beauty of it now is you've got the ability to go learn from these amazing, you know, people who have been successful. I mean, if I want to go learn scoring, I can go on master it's master masterclass.com. I can learn from Hans Zimmer for like a hundred bucks. Like really? I can go like listen to like 14 hours of him talking and you know dumping all his you know value bomb knowledge. Whoa. I mean, where are you gonna get that? You won't even find that at a university. The opportunities are there's so many opportunities now that I think a lot of people just don't 
realize or maybe they're too lazy to, to do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of it comes down to what we were talking about earlier on mindset, just like recognizing that it is possible, believing that you can do it, that you have what it takes, that you deserve it, and surrounding yourself with people that see that opportunity for you as well. Because it's one thing if you have a dream, but if everyone around you is cutting it down and you don't have a, you know, you know, in you yourself are probably have some self-doubt around, you know, can I really do this? We have that imposter syndrome. Yeah, a lot of times it takes someone outside of you, like a mentor or a coach or someone that can see something in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself. And I, I know that for, for me, like some of the people that have changed my life in you know, remarkable ways, like I wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be here having this conversation if it wasn't for you know, people like Jeff, who were able to see something in me that I, I didn't see in myself, super valuable. So. Yep. Um, with that, I would love to open up the floor to uh, any questions that you might have from our live audience right now. If you're tuning into this live on social media somewhere, we would love to bring you into our private community. And so we do these live podcasts every day at one o'clock Eastern. If you'd like to ask questions to the guests that we bring on here live, then you can actually raise your hand and come out here live. In our chat here, I see Vaz raised his hand. So Vaz, let's bring you on here live. What's your question that we can help with? Yay, here I am. Okay, first off, number one, I'll be brief. Jason, I did purchase uh, a couple of your books uh, a couple of years ago when I first got into Modern Musician and been, been following, learning from what you've done. By the way, people who don't know Jason Tanoli, he is somebody worth looking up. And he also has another business, which I think is a travel business. Uh, I don't, and it looks like Am you've got- Amazing, really... amazing vacations. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, and so you, know, you seem to be like a really- lovely person and i'm just proud to have been able to discover you through modern musician okay quickly two things the first thing is i was wondering how much of your your team is what what, what consists of your collaborative and your marketing team because you said you do a lot of stuff out of your own home and your own stuff i, I wonder you know how many people are in there that that's one and and secondly since i, I really I think it's encouraging to understand about you being able to take recognize at a young age that work you had put in before you went to college um, was put you in a different place than than where you were going into college, but you had the courage and the ability to recognize that you needed to change your focus and you went in another direction. Uh, I wonder how many of us, and I'm talking about most people, don't have the um, well, I, you know, the courage, they're not, they're, they're not brave enough to, to, to step out of the conventional and, 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 and redirect. And I just, I really, it's more of kind of like just a fan applaud. I mean, I, I appreciate, I appreciate what you've done and it's reaffirming to hear that, that, that what you've accomplished. But once again, back to your team, what does it consist of? And, and I'd be curious. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Vaz. Okay. Yeah, fa fantastic question. So from the team, and, and my team is going to be very, is very different than what it was 10 years ago. I mean, it, what my old, let's rewind the clock back 10 years ago when I was already doing albums and books. My team was me. Uh, I didn't even have a website that could deliver a PDF file to somebody. So I'd get orders on PayPal and I would manually send an email with a PDF attached to the email and I'd personally do that. Um, so, I mean, hmm. most, most people are going to start, it's going to be you for the team. The the thing that I would say you've got to decide is from a time standpoint and, and just 
knowing what you can get done. When's that point when you hire somebody to help you? And it's important to decide what's the thing you need help with. And then that's when you go hire somebody. A lot of times people think, oh, I should just go hire somebody and they're going to, this person is going to be able to solve all my problems. That's usually not the case. At least what I've found. I've learned that I usually need to tackle the problem and do the thing and get an understanding of, of how to do it and do it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years even. And then when I'm really good at it or have a good understanding, that's when I can find somebody that's going to be a good fit for that. Um, so hiring that help, um, especially your first person is, is going to be hard. If I was, if I, if it were today when I was starting out, I mean, write this down. My, my secret place I would go to get specific help would be to onlinejobs.ph. If you've never heard of it, it's, it's kind of like a LinkedIn for Philippines people. And, and I can go on there as a, an employer who needs help and I can put, Hey, I need help with transcribing music and putting it into Finale. Um, I had like five people who two or three of them were students that had Finale already on their computer. And I've got one guy now that he can take a music video or just an audio recording and he just magically puts it into music notation. I've got, so you, there's the thing that I didn't realize going in was that the Philippines, a lot of people over there don't have much of an accent if any. And so even if you need phone support or you need tech support, you can essentially, and it's free to use this, you can go on and say, I need somebody to do customer support and handle my chat. And you're probably going to, I mean, we've, when we hired our first person over there, I think they were making $2.80 an hour um, as a at 70 hours a week. Um, one was working at Cole's credit cards and he was the manager of, um, he was like the quality assurance manager giving coaching. So, I mean, this was a high level manager type person to like less than $3 an hour. And we were able to bring him over and he's more than, I mean, we're near double the pay and he now gets to spend time with his family versus going and traveling to the big city and only seeing him on Saturday night and Sunday morning. Um, so go check out onlinejobs.ph. I mean, that's, that's a huge value right there, but now What's happened is with my music, I started needing a web person and I needed somebody to do customer support. And I got to the volume where I have somebody who, I have two people now that do my customer support. One's here in Utah, that's a stay-at-home mom. And one's, actually I've got one and a half people in the Philippines that help with that. I've got two people, I've got a web person that does, breaks the website. So we'll call him the web improvement specialist. I've got a graphic designer person over there that also is kind of a WordPress person. I've got uh, some people that um, do my podcast for me. So I, I host the Successful Musicians podcast. Michael, I think we just were releasing one of yours any day now. So you can go listen to Michael be interviewed. It's really, it was a fun chat. But I've, I've found people to do the specific jobs over there. And so once you feel like I just got to have help, go check that out first. Or, you know, stay-at-home moms are great. I think in general, I think I have seven people in the Philippines now. But we're doing my website for my music. I've got an e-commerce site that sells like story, like inspirational stories, kind of like chicken soup for the soul type of stuff. I've got the travel agency. I've got the Amazing Vacations Costa Rica. That's a whole tour agency. And then because I didn't want to hire a, an ad agency essentially to do all this stuff, I, I built my team and we had essentially four clients right there with the businesses I'm running. And so, and since then, it's been over the last year, year and a half, we will specific, we'll take on certain clients that fit very similar to my businesses that my people already know how to do. So I'm not necessarily having to teach them how to do it, but I've got a couple of piano artists that were, I think we've got three piano artists right now that we're helping to build their website, you know, 
put all these plugins and tools and fancy web things that I spent thousands of dollars doing. And, and I'm essentially saving people ten dollars to $20,000 by helping them do that. And, and we do a little bit of coaching, but I, I've not, I'm not one that's done this like big course type of how to do it. It's a, it's very much a small, the right people, right fit for me. Um, we have, I want to say in Costa Rica now we've got, um, I was told there was about 17 families now that are employed down there for the various things we're doing. Um, we're also working on the software down there for itineraries, um, uh, for the amazing vacation side. I've got one, uh, one to two, actually about two people that are uh, near full time. But just for the music, I would say could I could probably get by if that was all I was doing with two, maybe three people helping me. And that's at the level that we're doing it. In addition to that, we have a warehouse where my daughter actually prints shipping labels and all of her friends come over and they have a party two or three times a week, you know, in the back singing songs on the radio as they're, you know, packaging. But in general, I don't think most musicians need more than one or two people until you really get to a level where, you know, hopefully people aren't doing as many crazy things as we're doing you know it's just it it's one of those where i step back and ask myself do i really want to do this because i could simplify but most of the things i'm doing are because i feel like that's those are people i'm here to serve and i had a really interesting conversation with my son yesterday when we were going down to the recording studio and about like making money and being successful in business and a lot of times people associate success with making lots of money and the reality is the long-term success of a business typically I think comes down to is that business out to serve and help and make an impact and, and the money part will come. But if, if a business is only focused on, and even as an individual musician, if all you're focused on is making money and paying the bills, you're probably not going to be successful long-term. If you can step back and say, I'm here to serve my people, find out who those people are and, and impact them. You'll be much happier, but your business will actually grow more than uh, it would if all you do is focus on money. So good. Yeah, I mean, we try to come back to that point a lot because it's just a, a fundamental truth that you know business is really a, a vehicle for value delivery. Like that's that's all yeah. it is. And, and money, while it's not a perfect system, you know, it's helped us in a lot of ways to be able to you know provide value and to trade value. And so, yeah, if you want to make more money, if you, if you want to make 10 times more money than you're currently making right now, then the way to do that is by asking, how can I provide 10 times more value than I'm providing right now? And, you know, the way you can provide 10 times more value is you can provide the same amount of value to 10 times more people. So you can do exactly what you're doing now, but just have like 10 times more people that you're providing the same value to, the same service. And now you, you'll have 10x your value and you'll have 10x your business. Or you can provide 10 times more value to the same number of people. So you can basically, without reaching anyone new, you can just go deeper with your existing you know, customers, your existing fans, provide 10 times more value to them. And that's another way to 10x your value. And Either way, like your business and your revenue is just is directly tied to the value that you're providing. And when you make that shift, like like you're mentioning, it just helps everything in so many, so many ways. Cause also it's less like about give me, give me like me, 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 which is repels, you know, it, it doesn't feel good. Uh, but if we focus on contribution and providing value, then people like to be provided value to people like to receive value. <laughs> 
And so you can ask questions, you can figure out what is valuable to people. How do I provide more value? It just, yeah, it makes, it makes things so much smoother and more enjoyable. I, I think the, your other question about having the courage or being brave enough to, to jump and, and burn the boats and go forward. I, I think advice I give to, to entrepreneurs, musicians that are thinking about that is it's important to go all in on it, but it's also important to be responsible because there are, I think there's a lot of times where, you know, I, I've seen musicians that put their heart and soul into something and they spend tens of thousands of dollars, you know, that maybe they go record. I've got a couple people in particular I think of, they spent tens of thousands of dollars recording an album, hiring an orchestra, and they have, you know, their music was amazing, but then they sold a few CDs to, you know, back in the day to their friends, family members, and a couple of fools, you know, the friends, family fools, you know, and, and having, but then they never did anything after that. And and I think it's, it's important to be responsible financially as well as a business owner. If all you do is just go spend money like you have it and you don't have it, it's going to get real, really fast. And And so having a game plan, you know, luckily when I've, quit and kind of, you know, quit the bank. I had a, my wife who's amazing. She's a school teacher and we, I'd saved up several thousand dollars of money also for kind of that rainy day. And it afforded me the ability to go for a whole year without paying ourselves. You know, when we started amazing vacations, Costa Rica, we invested a lot of money in that. And I spent probably a first year, year and a half down there, you know, not, I was up here in, in America working, but, you know, helping back and forth with that. And, and we went, I went six years of working on that business without paying myself, but it was a conscious decision of, okay, we're going to reinvest in, in the thing. So as a musician, if I was to give myself advice going backwards, I think having the kind of the attitude of, here's my example. I worked at the bank and I was making good money, but I carved out five or $10,000 a year to invest back into building a website and building platforms and learning and printing books to, and every money, every dollar I made back went directly back into that music bank account. And I, I don't think I took a draw of money for seven years. I'd, I'd spend them, I'd, I'd make a little bit of money and it would allow me to not have to go into debt on the credit card to print the books, or maybe it was, I'd saved enough and I could go in and record an album in a super efficient manner, manner where maybe I only had to spend $3,000. Whereas I, you know, the people at the, I was just, we record down with Chuck uh, Myers. He helped piano guys and just, he was the lead composer on the Harry Potter uh, video game and the Fortnite one that just came out in December. And he was funny. This was years ago, but he told me, he goes, you're the most efficient person coming in to the studio. You're prepared. You know exactly what you want to do. And he says, you just got a whole album done for less than $5,000. And I won't name any names, but very famous person came in and spent $20,000 on one song. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how would that be to be able to just drop $20,000 on a song and maybe people listen to it, maybe they didn't. I, you know, just, just being responsible um, when you have the courage is going to be important. So don't just like blindly, you know, fly a kamikaze, you know, thing. I mean, kamikazes usually didn't end very well. So don't, don't put yourself in that situation of being brave and courageous and you can approve to everybody, but have a plan and, yeah. and stay with the plan. Yeah, that that's a great point. Yeah, I think there's a lot of power and it gives you courage to face your fears when you know that you have some form of safety net. When, when you can ask yourself the question, what's the worst that could happen? And if you can know that going into it, like, okay, well, the worst thing that could happen is that 
I totally fail and flop. But if that happens, then, you know, I'll just kind of pick up where I left off. It's sort of like if you're doing a tightrope walk, like it's, you know, great. Like you, you want to learn like how to do it, but you should make sure you have a safety net below you so that if you fall, yep. then, you know, you're not going to die. So yeah, definitely a valuable uh, reminder. And yeah, I mean, I, I know when I, when I started Modern Musician and we started Paradise Fears, like we just didn't have resources. We didn't have the funds. We didn't have you know, money that was like given to us. So we like you know, hustled to make it work. And you know, I've invested you know, a lot using credit and using loans. And I reached a point where I cut up all my credit cards and I like, I don't take loans or I don't go into debt anymore. So I've kind of a mixed, mixed feelings about it. I, I feel like without it, I probably wouldn't be here right now and I wouldn't have made the investments that I needed to make to like, you know, to build a successful business. But it was also really challenging, you know, getting started and being in debt. There's a lot of weight with that. So, you know, it, it's helpful. Yeah, it's helpful that we do live in like a society and at least in America where worst case scenario, like in this absolute worst case scenario, we go bankrupt and then we sort of you know, have a forgiveness policy. I was surprised by the the groups that I've joined, the mastermind groups, how many successful entrepreneurs have had experienced massive failure in their lives and their businesses. And in some cases, like a lot of cases, they had actually gone bankrupt at one point. They had really gone all in, they invested, made some mistakes, it didn't work out. And you know, it became a part of their journey. It was a learning experience. And they're so much better off having done that versus never have done it, in the, done it in the first place. So that is one thing that we have kind of going for us is that we have safeguards in place that we that allow us to invest and, and learn. All right. Well, with that, Jason, this has been a fantastic conversation. I knew it was going to be great going into it, but I really appreciate your mindset and perspective. I think you bring so much wisdom from several different domains, and I appreciate that you're sharing that with the music community. I think it's you know one of the most important needs that all of us are solving together right now in the music industry is how to really build a healthy, you know, sustainable business with it. So thank you so much for what you're doing and for coming on here on the podcast to be a part of this community. And for anyone who's listening right now, who's interested in connecting more or diving deeper, where'd be the best place for them to go to connect more with you? Yeah. I mean, just shoot me an email um, to jason at tonyoli.com. So if you can uh, spell it right, um, you'll get it to me. Uh, my website is tonyoli.com. If anybody's uh, wanting a, a little bit extra help or wants to chat about their website or their funnels, um, I've got a really cool, this true conversion tool that'll track your, your clicks. If, it, if somebody, if you want to send me an email, I've got enough credits that I can give some people some free use of that for a couple of months. And honestly, that type of thing, if you have, you'd have to have a funnel or a website, but I'd be happy to just, it's super easy. We put the code on your funnel or whatever it is. Uh, reach out to me and just say, hey, I listened to this thing and you said you'd help. Uh, I mean, we're not going to do all the work for you, but uh, it literally would take you about two minutes to install it. And then we can show you how the reports. Uh, I'm happy to share that. It's a resource that, I mean, it's one of those where I've had a lot of people help me over the years. And this is an easy way for us to give back and, and provide, you know, some insight to hopefully help you as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for doing that. And we'll make sure to share all the links and whatnot in the, the show notes so people have easy access. And yeah, thanks again for being a part of the podcast today. Yeah. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. 
First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us, that, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's gonna help us reach more musicians like you who wanna take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.